Well, as we start into the Advent season, we are going to look at a series that we're calling This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Today we want to talk about meeting Jesus. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to find that. Isaiah chapter 9. As we look at meeting Jesus. Um, You may know that I have two sons. My second son, Stuart, was born at St. Agnes Hospital in 1998. Actually, 18 years ago this past week. And uh, that was right around the time it was becoming um, kind of the popular thing for expecting parents to learn the gender of the baby before he's born. Um, So you could be like, oh, we're having a boy. Oh, we're having a girl. Um, But... Before that, as with my older son, Alex, um, we had to wait until he was born to find out what he was. And to be honest, I kind of prefer the old way. I like kind of not knowing. I don't know how the mom feels about that, but I, I like kind of like, oh, it's going to be boy or girl and all these kind of old wives tales. Well, you can tell it's a girl because of this. and No, it's definitely a boy because of that. And it's just like, well, we'll wait and find out. And, uh, you know, it's really exciting. Um in those days, but in those earlier times, when you heard the good news about a baby being born, the, the first question was always, boy or girl, what did you have? That was always the first question. Then you'd ask about the features of the child. Oh, you know, how much did she weigh? Or, you know, you know does, does he have lots of hair? And is he cute? Does he have his mother's nose? And all those kind of questions. And then finally, what did you name her? What did you name him? What's it called? Right? The name indicates maybe the baby's heritage or, or, or the, maybe the hopes of the grandparents or remembrance of an, of an earlier grandparent or uh, earlier time, you know. Um, maybe, uh, you know, someone influenced, someone who was important in that family's life becomes that, that child's name. Gender, hair color, you know, the size, the weight, those things are all okay, but, but it's the name, it's the name that's important. And you think, okay, what's the name? And, and these days it's, and, 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 and how will you spell that? Usually is how it is these days. Um, but, you know, those, those things were important. Well, maybe you don't really like your birth name. There's some people who go through that. Uh, maybe you're fine with it. Most, most are. Some people change their name uh, as they get into adulthood. Um, or maybe you go by your middle name. And uh, that you, you prefer that over your first name. There's those who like their initials, right? I remember, you know, in the, in the olden times, it seemed like, you know, preachers and leaders always had like to have an initial in their name. They'll be like, John J. Smith. They always had to have that middle initial. Just how I was cool. I, I don't know what that was. Or especially with the first initial, it'll be J. James Smith. Oh, then you're really cool. Um, you know, those were those were kind of the names. But the, days. But the name is how you knew somebody. That's... That's your right, kind of what gives you identity. I don't know if you realize this, but God, your heavenly Father, knows your name. He knows your name and speaks throughout Scripture. We see God speaks by name to people. I love a song we used to sing. I don't know if we sang it here, but years ago, um, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, we sang the song, um, uh, uh, He Knows My Name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and He hears me. When I call, I have a father. He calls me his own. That's a great song because it really captures a sense of God knows your name and he speaks to you by name. Now, Jesus told his disciples that their names were written in heaven. You can see that in Luke chapter 10. I know that's an amazing thought that, that your name, that 
that there's a book, there's ink, there's a pen in heaven, and your name is written down. Right? The, the Apostle Paul said the same thing in Philippians. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, he said it as well. The Apostle John, he talked about it in Revelation 21, that, that your name is written for, you know, four different New Testament voices confirm. There's a book, and all who trust in Jesus, their names are written in that book. If your name's not in that book, you won't be in heaven. That needs to be kind of a sobering thought for you. Be sure that your name is in the book of heaven, in the book of life, because names matter. Now, when someone's really important, right, then they get multiple names and even titles. Now, for example, people around the world just love um, William and Kate, that, you know, Britain's Prince William. They are, honestly, they have to be the most good-looking, photogenic couple on the planet right now. But um, he's not just Prince William. He is officially Prince William Arthur Philip Lewis Windsor, Duke of Cambridge, Earl of Strathern, Barrick Carrickfergus. Wow, that's a mouthful. Kate probably just calls him Will. Right? And then that's the snag in this whole name thing. Because when we're close to someone, when we're on a first name basis, when we, when we know them well, we, we might even use a nickname, we use a first name, we can miss who that person really is. Or we, we may overlook, in a sense, their, their greatness. We may overlook their true identity. I think that happens potentially in our relationship with Jesus the Christ. We think of Jesus as just Jesus. He's, he's Jesus. He's, he's our friend and savior, right? We sing songs about Jesus. We talk to him. We're almost casual about it. But he is Jesus Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. God saves. He is the Christ. The Christ is, is a title. The title means Messiah or God's anointed one. Right? Titles and, and names are, are somewhat interchangeable. That's acceptable that you call him Jesus or Christ or Jesus the Christ or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. But that's a grand name, the Savior, the anointed one of God. Now, hundreds of years before Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem, we were given a birth announcement. Some of you get that in the mail. Somebody is... You know, there's a child born, and what do you get? A little card in the mail that says, oh, we're pleased to tell you so-and-so was born. A birth announcement. It's, uh, it's found in the Old Testament book called Isaiah. And in that announcement, some of Jesus' names and titles are given to us. So we're going to read that. But I'm going to take you um, just to a place that's a little unusual for, for most of us. I want you to listen to some music um, uh, let's go and listen to that, because this is one of the greatest pieces of music ever written from Handel's Messiah from the chorus, For Unto Us a Child is Born. <laughs> so you can crank that up a little bit. It's great music.
Let's read those exact words in Scripture. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're in Isaiah chapter 9. We're starting at verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's be seated together. You know, when Isaiah recorded these prophetic words, he was writing them for the people of Israel. And, and this, this promise of a, of a child, the promise of a son, it was the promise of a fresh start. Right? The promise of a, of a new future. The promise of a, of a new beginning. That's what happens with a child. Jesus had to come as a child because of all that it means in terms of starting from the beginning. Even today, regardless of what your life has been about, what's been in your past, what, what, you know, what's happened to you or, or what you've done, putting your faith in Jesus is all about the promise of a new start, a new life, a new beginning. Jesus, Jesus isn't here just to make you a nicer person. He's not here just to kind of like give you some self-improvement tips. That's not Jesus. Jesus came to make things new for you. And, and, and indeed for the entire world to start fresh, a new creation. Every believer in Jesus is made new. Not just a little better than before. Do you understand that? See, most people at, at this Christmas season, most people, they love the, the, the baby in the manger story. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's, the baby is so cute and he's, he's non-threatening. And even those people who have no idea what Christmas means, and honestly, there's many people in our neighborhood and our community who really and truly have no idea. They might see the, the crash, they see the, the, the kneeling man and the kneeling woman and the fluffy hay thing in the middle, and they have no idea what that means and why it's there, right? But even those who kind of get it, kind of see it a little bit, they love it. Why? It's disarming. Hey, who doesn't love a baby, right? Who doesn't love a nativity scene? But why then did the shepherds and the wise men, and we're going to get to the shepherd and wise men stories later in the season, but, but basically, why did commoners and why did high class bow down and worship this baby in a feeding trough? Why would they do that? I mean, you've seen a baby before. You've seen a new baby. If someone brings it home or you go to the hospital. But have you ever bowed down and worship? Some grandparents, you're close, you're kind of borderline, right? But, but we don't worship the baby, but these guys did. That's an amazing thing. That should kind of really puzzle us. And why would they do that? They did so because God told them of the child's identity. On the night that Jesus was born, an angel appeared to the nearby shepherds as they were out with their sheep. And the shepherd says this, I mean, the angel says this to the, to the shepherds. He says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. 
this promised one, this, this rescuer you've been hoping for, the Savior, he's been born. And you'll find him there in the manger. And so they got it. They understood that the baby in the manger was no kind of ordinary, cute little Jewish boy, peasant boy. They, they, they recognized who this was. And so they got down and they worshipped God. Because it was God revealed in human flesh. Now, without a doubt, they were familiar with, with this ancient, really about 700-year-old promise from Isaiah that unto us a child is born, a son, with all these powerful, dramatic, kind of earth-shattering names, names that, that maybe we're overly familiar with. Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, we've heard those so many times, but, but for them, because of Isaiah, through Isaiah, they already knew, they already knew that God was going to come to them in human form. Now, many had rejected it in their Jewish religion, but they got it. They understood. Now, to say, this is kind of a strange line. The government shall be upon it. The government will be on its shoulders. The government will rest on its shoulders. What does that mean? That's kind of an odd thing to say. Well, it's, it's, an, it's a reference to an ancient practice of protection in author, and authority. Um, for example, in weddings of that time, uh, a sash or cloth would be laid over the groom's shoulder as a symbol of the transfer of of care and protection of the bride from her from her father's house from her parents' house to the to the groom and so it was effectively the government the care the protection the oversight is on his shoulders he bears the weight of responsibility and in response everything that is his his worth his wealth his good name his Right standing in the community, his righteousness, so to speak, that was all then transferred to the woman or the woman came under the care and protection of that governance of the man. The government is on his shoulder. Her care, her protection, that of the family and all to come is on his shoulder, rests on him. And that's what we're that's what they're saying about Jesus. Jesus is going to take responsibility for your care, protection and oversight. So we, we, you know, it's fair to say that Jesus not only cares for you, but your right standing with God, the good name of Jesus, his righteousness is, is to your benefit. You come under that righteousness of Christ because the government, the reigning is on him so that now you have the privilege of approaching God as pure in his sight. That's kind of a long explanation, long way of saying that. Because this governance on his shoulder means that Jesus carries your burden. He carries the load you carry. He carries your burden of sin and your impossible attempts at righteousness. Jesus has you covered. And then come the names. Wonderful Counselor. We, we, it's fair to consider this as one name, not two names. Wonderful and Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Have you ever sought counsel? Right? Do you ever call up your dad or your sister or your friend and say, oh, I've got a decision to make. I, I really need some advice. Well, that, that person may or may not be wonderful, but they are a counselor to you in that moment. What does a counselor do? A counselor offers direction, even healing to your life. For, for example, when you visit a therapist, and there's kind of an interchangeable word, I suppose, but when you visit a therapist... The co- who is the conversation about? The conversation is about you, not the therapist. If you went to the therapist cause to, to go over some counsel and the therapist said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I have some things I've been wanting to talk about all week. 
I've been listening to so many problems. I just need to, you know, like unload for a while. Wouldn't that not be weird? I mean, he'd be like, uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm coming back. That would not be a wonderful counselor. In fact, that wouldn't be a counselor at all. A, a, a counselor is a servant to you. Right? A, a counselor is there to give some guidance to you. They don't demand answers from you. And as the wonderful counselor, Jesus offers you his perfect best. His very self. And get this, he, does, he demands nothing back from you. A lot of people have a hard time realizing that, but God demands nothing back from you. He does not demand your perfection. He does not demand your sacrifice. The counselor instead comes alongside you to instruct you and, and, and to help you, and to guide you. And, and a wonderful counselor is really a servant to you. He meets your needs. He does not expect you to meet his, for he has no needs of his own. That's Jesus, the wonderful counselor, trusted, generous, uh, generous with his his care and, and guidance for your life. He's loving and he's a servant. And he's the mighty God. Now, this is crazy. How can a child, how can a baby boy also be the mighty God? Right. Coming as a child, of course, makes him approachable, makes makes him one of us. Makes him, in a sense, your equal, only he's not your equal. He, he is above all. He's the mighty God. It's really hard to, to kind of grasp an illustration of this. But, you know, this week I, I spoke to somebody who's, who has um, who spent time with the president-elect, Trump, and also with the other candidate, um, Clinton. And, you know, it was funny. I was, I was saying, well, what happens when the two of you are together? He goes, well, when there's... No one else to talk to. He talks to me. And I thought, well, that's interesting. This person that, in effect, is you'll never know this person's name, but kind of gets treated like an equal, but not an equal. One of these people is going to be making massive world-affecting decisions. It's a bit like that with Jesus. Jesus is the mighty God, and yet he lowers himself to, well, to talk to us, to, to be one of us, to... Be in skin, like us. How does that work? How can that be? He's a child, but he's the mighty God? It's, it's like, you know, Jesus came, he emptied himself of all his glory, all the worship of heaven, all the magnificence that is his, and then he comes along and he sits down beside you. And he talks to you. And he says, come follow me. It's so disarming. It's hard to believe it could even be real, but it is. He's so vast, so great. He is the mighty God. Why, why doesn't it amaze us more that we are allowed to approach, we are allowed to enter God's perfect, holy presence? I want you to read with me Hebrews 4.16. Let's read it. Ready? Go. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Why? We do that because the writer of Hebrews is explained because of Jesus, the high priest, the one who's gone in ahead of us, who's made it possible for us to approach the gracious throne and find mercy.
Jesus, the baby boy, is the mighty God. God in the flesh, and he makes it happen. And then he's the everlasting father. i got to be honest, this is the name that catches me off guard the most. How can a child be a father at the same time? This kind of doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the words are obvious. Everlasting father. I know what everlasting means. It means lasting forever. And I know what father means. It means father. So he's the everlasting. I get that. But isn't Jesus the son? Okay, well, think about it this way. What, you know, when you think about the ideal qualities of a good father, right? When you just think about, man, I, you know, the perfect dad would be compassionate and protective and encouraging, right? And inspiring and ready with, with the, the best guidance possible. Well, is that not consistent with who Jesus is? Protective, encouraging, inspiring, guiding. He is the everlasting Father in part because He is one with the Father, but He also operates in all the characteristics, all the qualities that the Father has. Jesus Himself said this in John 14:9. He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Some of you think, I'm not so sure about the scary Old Testament version of God. I don't really like that very much. I'm not comfortable, but I sure like the New Testament Jesus version. I love Jesus in the New Testament. He's so nice to everybody. But I don't like the Old Testament God. Well, I got, I, I got something to tell you. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, I like what I see in the New Testament version of Jesus, too. So, maybe I've misunderstood a little bit. The scary Old Testament version. Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, I can trust them both. I can trust them both. He is the everlasting Father. Maybe you had a great relationship with your dad. Maybe not so much. But either way, the hardest part of, of when you grow up is that, well, first of all, you have to grow up at all. And then that your dad is suddenly gone. And you wanted more from him or, or you, something you wanted him to say to you or, or, or you just want to talk to him again or just ask him a question or maybe you like to go to games with him or something and, he's, and, and you just can't because he's gone. He's not everlasting in this life. But Jesus, Jesus is like a father that you, you can just fall into. You, like a kid on a hard day or, or, or the child who leaps off the chair into dad's arms when dad walks in the door. I mean, that's Jesus, the everlasting father. He loves you like crazy. He's generous and he's permanent. He will outlast you. And, and some of us need to learn to approach Jesus in those fatherly qualities that he has and that he is. And then there's this name, title, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, Jesus, the conduit, the, the pipeline of your peace, right? The one through whom peace comes to you. Peace is, peace is not simply an absence of conflict, although that's what the dictionary says it is. Peace, is. peace is more than that. Because it's possible to be at peace in the midst of trouble, in the midst of hard times. Right? I think this is peace. I think peace is a lack of fear. I think peace is a lack of fear. And it's a place of total trust and confidence in God's outcomes. Peace is a lack of fear that says, I trust whatever God's going to do in this circumstance, whatever the situation is. That's peace. And Jesus is the deliverer, the bringer of peace. Jesus said this, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace 
in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows. That's a promise. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus is saying in the midst of it, you can have peace. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way. Let's read this one together, too, out of Philippians chapter four. Well-known verse. Ready? Go. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Think of it this way. You know, a believer, as a believer in Jesus, right, you come into the, into the fortress of Jesus Christ. The battles in life may rage around you, right? The hard times may just be boiling all around, but you are secure inside his dwelling. It's, you know, you're in his castle, so to speak, no matter what's going on. And in that place is a place of peace. The ancient psalm writer said it this way in, in Psalm 91.1. He said, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. That's a picture of, of peace inside the secure dwelling of who Jesus is. And it's only possible when you stop trying to be good. And when you stop trying to be righteous and good enough for God's favor. And instead you put all your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to make you a new person from the inside out. And you live his way out of what he's already done for you. Instead of trying to prove yourself. He is the prince of peace. The bringer, the giver. Of your peace. And then there's a, ver- there's a promise then in, in verse 7 as well. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with justice and fairness. The, the governance of Jesus that continues. To, I don't know if you realize this, but the impact and the reach of the good news message of Jesus continues to extend throughout the world and throughout generations. And it goes on and on and on. And it will continue to increase until the day of Jesus' return. Because at the day of Jesus' return, he will come Not as a baby in the manger. He will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the commander of heaven's armies, riding a bright white stallion with crowns on his head and a sharp sword to execute justice. And every knee, the Bible teaches that every knee will bow, every tongue will say, Jesus is Lord, and they will do it either willingly or unwillingly, but they will do it because they will recognize that He is the King. But for now, these four names of Isaiah's birth announcement are all about God's initiative toward you. His initiative Toward you about his care, his his protection over you, his power in you, his love for you, his kindness toward you. It's all about about God looking toward you with his favor and his grace. And all these names, these four names we talked about, make a relationship with God possible. It's it's about God's effort to reach toward us. Did you know that every religion is trying to reach to God? 
And they can't do it successfully because how could an imperfect heaven person reach a perfect God? It's only in Christ that instead God reaches to us through Christ Jesus. That's the difference. That's the difference. And when he recognized it and you reach back, God does this amazing thing and he closes the gap. And it makes it possible for you to know him. He draws you in to himself. It's his initiative and it's his work. And that's what these names mean. So here's the question as we enter this Christmas season that I have for you is that is Jesus anything more to you than the baby in a manger? Or is that where it stops? Is that just good enough for you? Is he more than a good luck charm? You pray when you're in trouble and that's it. Is he, is he more than tradition or habit or obligation or religion for you? Really, how will you, how will you respond to Jesus? I mean, which of these names, as you think about these four names, which of these names are your greatest need today? The wonderful counselor who will serve to give you care and guidance and protection? The, 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 the mighty God whose power can be trusted in your life? The everlasting Father who just invites you in for that embrace that you need for your life? The peace giver to bring you calm in the midst of all the craziness in your life? Because all of your life, all your life, God has been inviting you, drawing you, pulling you, initiating toward you to trust him more, to let him lead your life more, to to know him more. And it's all through Jesus, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father and our prince of peace. It's a beautiful thing. Before we close in prayer, I'm going to invite Pastor Stephen um, just in case uh, any of you have say, uh, sent a question, might have time, yeah. time for one or two questions. Yeah, we so. got some great questions here. First question, Jesus has come. What are we waiting for now? What are we to do now? Yeah, great question. Great question. So um, Jesus, it's sometimes what we call the, the, the initiation of God's kingdom. Jesus came. We are in the last times, the end times, Jesus will return. So we have a choice of living oriented, directed toward God's kingdom or oriented to, to my own kingdom. Make, either I'm the king, either I'm the Lord of my life or Jesus is the Lord of my life. So I would say it's what Jesus said when he grew up. He, in his ministry, what's he said? He said, come, follow me. And then as he followed him, then what did he say? I'm sending you out. So we live for him. We follow his instructions and commands and we make him known throughout the world. Great. Next question. What verses can we rely on or what scriptures can we look to when our sins seem to be so overwhelming and continuous that it feels that God forgiving them would be too much to bear for him and not for him to be frustrated by us? Yeah. Yeah. And then along with that, how do we uh, dismantle our ways to be good and righteous and rely on God's nature to make us new instead? Hey, that's, uh, that's good. That's <laughs> okay, so essentially the question of is what do we do? How, how do I know that I can really be forgiven? Um, what, one thing that comes to mind immediately is out of, out of 1 um, John 
one nine that the promise is that if we confess our sins, right, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what's good is he goes on from there that um, he said, but my children, this is John writing to believers. He says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So effectively saying, there is the only way you have sin um, that can't be forgiven if it's greater than the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And we would just say that's impossible. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. It covers all sin. And so... Sometimes there's maybe a process of getting someone to help you kind of walk through. Man, I'm just really struggling with this. To be reminded again and again, you are a new creation in Christ. That all your sin is forgiven. And you have an advocate who pleads your case even when you do sin. This says, Jesus says, no, my, my blood has covered that sin from this person who has said, Jesus, I trust you to forgive even the worst dumb stuff I did this morning. One more. Last question. Are we to trust him more or are we to totally trust in him? Is there a difference? Ask me that again. Are we to trust in him, Jesus, more or are we to totally trust in him? Trust in God more or totally trust God? Is there a difference? Well, we are to totally trust in him. So to get there, you're going to have to trust him more. Is that fair? We are getting there. We are in process. None of us have achieved a place of perfection or complete understanding. And so we are in process. The Bible maybe would, would talk about places of being made holy, being transformed, being renewed in your mind. We call it sanctification, the process of being made more holy in him. Great questions this morning. Um, yeah, I will uh, give those some thought to and see if we can... Um, do a better job of answering those. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. I just want to bring it back around again, just to remind you that, you know, God has, God has initiated the relationship with us by sending Jesus. And all his life, he's been inviting you to trust him totally, completely. And so he's been revealed as these amazing things. The wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father, the prince of peace. As you ponder that and meditate on that, those things become more precious to you and more real. And you'll find that Jesus loves to meet you at your point of need. This week, as you continue the week, I encourage you to pick one of those and sort of dwell on that. And say, Lord, what do, I, what do I really need today? What I really need as a counselor or what I really need is to know that you're my, my father. And let the Lord work those uh, truths deep into your heart. As the week goes on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have um, preserved these words of Isaiah for us today. Um, so long ago, and yet it's so now at the same time. We just thank you for your, for your word to us. We thank you that Jesus, who is alive now, came as one of us to die in our place. To become sin on our behalf. And so we can be made right. Help us to grasp it. Help us to get it, Lord. Help us to really get it. Even in these days to come. And especially in this Christmas season. Lord, I ask God that you just lay in our hearts. 
friends and neighbors and people in our lives who, who need to, to meet you, maybe for the first time or maybe again. And God, just give us a, a, a passion and a burden for those lives. We thank you. In the precious name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, church, let me just say that I wish you now that the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Amen.